Hello and welcome to the podcast for Ray Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckman, Senior Pastor, and I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We've reopened our sanctuary and would love to have you join us in person at 410 Blake Street in Ray, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1045, if you feel comfortable to do so. We would also invite you to join us live on Facebook, YouTube, or our website if that's a better fit for you at this time. Please visit our website at raynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information regarding our services. It is my prayer that you experience the presence of God during your time with us, whether in person or online. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. And I do welcome you once again to the podcast for Ray Church the Nazarene. This week's message is entitled Hope Beyond the Norm and is a continuation of our sermon series entitled Beyond the Norm. This week we look at Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 where Jesus heals the paralytic man and all of the 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 things happening around this story that bring hope to the world around us today. Thanks once again for listening and I hope you have a great week. Well this morning we are continuing our series uh, called Beyond the Norm, and I've had, it's been fun to just open scriptures and, and look at what Jesus did, and with the intent of looking at it beyond kind of the norm, what were the, just the weird things, the odd things that Jesus did that really captured the hearts and the intention of the people that he uh, encountered throughout his life and ministry here on earth, and so uh, seems to have kind of followed along in in certain themes, and what was really on my heart going into this week was this concept and this idea of hope. And so I want to read this quick story to you. It's titled, Is There Any Hope? Years ago, an S-4 submarine was rammed by a ship off the coast of Massachusetts. It sank immediately. The entire crew was trapped in a prison house of death. Every effort was made to rescue the crew, but all ultimately failed. Near the end of the ordeal, a deep-sea diver who was doing everything in his power to find a way for the crew's relief thought he heard a tapping on the steel wall of the sunken sub. He placed his helmet up against the side of the vessel, and he realized it was Morse code. He attached himself to the side, and he spelled out in his mind the message being tapped from within. It was repeating the same question. The question from within was, is there any Hope. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is what motivates us and moves us. Hope is what compels us to respond. Hope is what helps us see more than what's ultimately right around us. And this morning as I was thinking about hope and, and, and praying about that and, and really where my heart was guided this week, it landed in Mark chapter 2. And this is a passage that, that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, it's a passage that's been, that is talked about often. But I want us to look at it this morning with this, this lens of hope. So Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, would you read with me? A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there, so many that... I'm going to stop here for a second. So I'm, I'm a little tired this morning. And so I feel like I'm stumbling over my words and, and all of this. Um, 
I took my girls to uh, NYI camp in Golden Bell yesterday. And we left at 5.30 in the morning, and we got home at 11 last night. And it was a great time. It was an awesome time together. I'm not sorry or sad. I'm just a little tired. And so I apologize as I feel like I'm stumbling through. And then I've had, uh, I had computer issues. And so uh, this morning, as I went to go through sermon notes and everything, I can't find them. And I don't know if it was just because I'm tired or what. So a lot of what I'm sharing with you this morning is from memory. And I had to frantically rebuild uh, a lot of what I'm sharing with you this morning during the Spanish service. So, um, so it's been a little bit of a, of a hectic morning. So extend to me a little bit of grace, if you would. We're going to start again. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, this morning as we kind of dive into this a little bit, I'm going to kind of rearrange how I, at least in my mind and from what I remember of my notes, how I'd originally intended to go, so bear with me a little bit. The first thing I want us to look at is that Jesus is our ultimate hope. So if we're looking at this passage through the lens of hope, hope is this, this faith in something that is beyond ourselves, faith that moves us beyond our current situations and circumstances. Faith or hope is what moves us from how desperate things are to what God is promising us. That is the ultimate hope, and Jesus is revealing himself as our ultimate hope here in this passage. But we see here that the religious leaders, they missed it. If you imagine, if you imagine the scene, you imagine the crowd that's just packed into this tiny little house, and, and nobody can, these, these four guys with their friend, they can't get into the front, so they have to dig through the top. But imagine all these people gathered around Jesus. And the religious leaders, they made sure they got the front row. And you can imagine them sitting there like this. Right? Arms crossed, scowl on their face, because they're looking to trap him. They're looking to try and see something that he's going to say that they can get him on. And so they're there in the front row, arms crossed, just waiting. So Jesus goes through this, this whole process, and we see here that the religious leaders... They missed it. We see here that Jesus 
it's interesting, and just it just stands out to me clearer than anything. As soon as they they bust through the, the ceiling and the roof and they lower their friend down to Jesus, what does he say to the paralytic? He doesn't heal the physical needs, right? He doesn't say, your faith has healed you, get up and walk. I mean, he does that. But the first thing he does is he says, son, your sins are forgiven. That phrase is a little bit interesting, son. That's a a term of endearment. It's more than just, he didn't refer to him as the paralytic. He didn't refer to him as, as anything else but son. That communicates a couple of things. It communicates, first off, the love that Jesus must have had for this guy. This term of endearment. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He dealt with something that was more than just the physical. He dealt with the spiritual before any of that. And so if we're looking at this story of hope, why is that significant? Why would Jesus first address his sin? If we understand from our own life what we go through, what we face day in and day out, I can't imagine having to deal with what I deal with without the power, and the hope of Jesus. And I'm not just talking as a pastor, but, you know, I had a a life before I was a pastor that, um, you know, I had a business, I had all of these other pressures and, and tensions in my life. And I can't imagine trying to go through that without Jesus. I can't imagine trying to, to work my brains out, trying to provide for my family without the strength and power of Jesus. I can't imagine wanting to do anything without Jesus. And so I don't even understand here at this point if this paralytic man knew he needed Jesus. I think as we look at this passage, we see these friends, they must have known something about who Jesus was. They must have known that he had the power to heal. They may not have understood that he is the son of God that had the power to forgive sin. But they knew that they needed to get their friend there. They knew that their friend needed Jesus. So they brought him. And they are desperate. They have this hope that goes beyond what the limitations were in that moment. This crowd that was pressed in. This crowd that that wasn't letting anybody else in. They wanted to see and hear what Jesus was going to say. So they had a hope. But Jesus addresses the spiritual before the physical. This signifies Jesus' priorities. This signifies the Father's priorities, the Father's heart towards us. Because it was more than just this man's physical needs. He wanted fellowship. He wanted this guy to be with him forever. And so the spiritual before the physical And we see here in this passage that as a result of of Jesus ultimately forgiving his sins, but healing him, he asks something in response from this paralytic man. What does he tell him to do? He tells him to get up. And he tells him to go home. Imagine the scene. Everybody's pressed in tight. 
Nobody can get in from the outside. He's dropped in. Jesus heals him, tells him to get up. Can you imagine him laying there? And he gets up. And he begins to walk through this crowd. And everybody's having to, to kind of move, step out of the way as he is coming through. This was all beyond the norm. None of this was expected. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they were upset. Who does this Jesus think he is that he can forgive sins and heal him as he walks out? The scowls. Can you picture it? The next thing that I want us to look at as we look at this passage is I want us to look at these four friends. And maybe imagine yourselves. I want to imagine myself as one of the, the friends that's carrying my buddy to Jesus. I think it's important as we look at this story to kind of figure out where we may find ourselves. And there's a few different cast of players, let's say. So we got the four friends, right? We got the four, four guys that are bringing their their buddy to Jesus. We've got the paralytic man. We've got the crowd, and the crowd consists of onlookers. It it consists of teachers of the law. It consists of people that were there to watch a show, to look at this with with disdain, with, with judgment. And we need to kind of look at that crowd and maybe try to identify where we find ourselves. Because ultimately, as we look through this, I think Jesus wants us to be on the right side, to pick the right character, so to speak. And I think, ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be hope dealers. Hope, I'm glad somebody caught it. Hope is addicting, right? In the bleakest, darkest situation, you need somebody around you that's full of hope. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be hope dealers. We're called to be those that are just giving hope out because it's the greatest thing ever. And we've experienced it. And we need and want others to experience that too. And ultimately, Jesus wants us to be involved in that process. Now, that hope that we're giving out is, is Jesus, right? And so, as we look at this and we're, we're trying to identify ourselves in this, in this story, these guys, they walk up to this house and it's full, right? We've talked about that. And so, undeterred, they're trying to figure out a way to get their friend to Jesus. And so, the way that, that homes were built at that time, a lot of stone, a lot of kind of mud, stucco-type material on the outside of the house. Oftentimes, there was a staircase around the outside of the house because they used the house at different times of the day because it was cooler there than it was inside the home. And so they had set them oftentimes kind of a flat roof, and so it wasn't uncommon to have staircase leading up there. They would sit there in the cool of the evening while the house cooled down. So they make their way up. I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine this plan being hatched. You know, how are they going to get, well, let's drop them in. I mean, makes sense, right? 
I don't know. So they get up there, and they start digging through the roof of this house. And this roof of this house is made up of different materials, straw and sticks and different pieces of lumber, and everything's kind of mashed on top of each other. And, and that's how they made this roof. And so undeterred, they haul their buddy up to this roof. Some of the, the scholars in, in what I can remember of, of what I studied this week talked about the condition that maybe this, this paralytic man had. And it was more than just being paralyzed, and we don't know to what extent, whether completely or what, but oftentimes a lot of pain came with what he was dealing with. And so to move him the way that they were moving him was incredibly difficult. So they had to weigh weigh all of these options, this pain, discomfort of dropping him through a ceiling to get him to Jesus, moving him up to the roof. I mean, they could have dropped him at any point, but they knew they had to get him to Jesus. So they dig through the roof, and they must have found some rope to lower him down. And Jesus, as we read here in this passage, he's not faced by it. Okay, this is beyond the norm, right? This is the ultimate disruption of service, right? Imagine, it's, it's dark, dimly lit, and all of a sudden, there's, they can hear him digging through, and then a ray of light, and then pretty soon, this whole opening comes through, and here, they lower their friend. I love this scene, because it's hope. It's this tangible hope that we can see here. Where do we find ourselves in the crowd? We can make even the argument that, that maybe people in this crowd that are pressed in and, 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 and keeping others from coming in, that could be a picture of the church. Where sometimes we are so consumed with our own agendas and ideas and thoughts of how things should go that, that the people that need the hope of Jesus, they can't get in. That we're preoccupied with all of these relationships and the way that things need to be done, that sometimes that blocks people from coming in to see Jesus. I'm not talking necessarily physically, but the way that we function as a church sometimes blocks the way. It interrupts hope. So this morning, where do you see yourself in this passage today? Am I standing in the way of the hope of Jesus? Am I keeping somebody else from, from getting to him because my own selfish wants, agendas, ideas? Am I like these friends that, that desperately am trying to get somebody who needs to know and understand the hope of Jesus to him? Am I rallying people together to do that? And so if we're looking at this passage through the lens of hope and as a function of a body of believers, those that are disciples of Jesus and we're functioning together as a church, are we bringing people to Jesus? Are we actively involved in that? Are we standing in the way? Maybe you're the paralytic. Maybe this morning you understand that, yeah, there's things in my life that that need fixed. And maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's emotional. 
Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's sin in some form of, of another. And so what is it this morning that you need the hope of Jesus to invade your life with? What is it in my life that stands in the way? Jesus healed the spiritual before the physical. So this morning, what is that spiritual need? Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts this morning in this. Where do we find ourselves? Do we take on the attitudes of the scribes and the Pharisees and feel justified in the outward condition of their life because they looked at this situation, remember the crossed arms, scowl on their face? They were justified because they viewed this man's condition being paralyzed as a result of sin. And so them living their life as normal, nothing wrong, they were justified. They, they're living a good life. Jesus is clear as he goes through this that he heals what first? The spiritual. So he takes that out of the equation by first dealing with that. What's our attitude like? Are we willing? I love these four guys. Are we willing to be like these four friends, to bear with, with one another, to bear with somebody that we know desperately needs Jesus? Are we willing to walk through the drudgery, the hopelessness that they're experiencing in their life to point them to the hope in Jesus? These guys had a commitment to this relationship. They had a commitment to their friend that they desperately wanted him in the presence of Jesus. Are we willing to go to those lengths? What these guys did was nothing that was minimal. This wasn't probably, a, there was a relationship there. I want to close with this story here this morning. The Barcelona Olympics of 1992 provided one of track and field's most incredible moments. Britain's Derek Redmond had dreamed all his life of winning a gold medal in the 400-meter race, and his dream was in sight as the gun sounded in the semifinals in Barcelona. He was running the race of his life, and he could see the finish line as he rounded the turn into the back stretch. Suddenly, he felt a sharp pain go up the back of his leg. He fell face first onto the track with a torn right hamstring. Sports Illustrated recorded the dramatic events. As the medical attendants were approaching, Redmond fought to his feet. It was animal instinct, he would say later. He set out hopping in a crazed attempt to finish the race. When he reached the stretch, a large man in a t-shirt came out of the stands, hurled aside a security guard, and ran to Redmond, embracing him. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, said Derek. Well then, said Jim, we're going to finish this together. And they did. Fighting off, the security, fighting off security men, the son's head sometimes buried in his father's shoulder, they stayed in Derek's lane all the way to the end as the crowd gaped, then rose and howled and wept. 
Derek didn't walk away with a gold medal, but he walked away with an incredible memory of a father who, when he saw his son in pain, left his seat in the stands to help him finish the race. That's the same thing we need to be doing with one another. There are people limping through life without the hope that's found in Jesus. And are we willing to get out there and run it with them, to embrace, to hold them, to carry them, to encourage them, whatever it takes to get them across that finish line? That's where I want to be. I want to be like the four friends, desperately getting people to Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? As, a pra- as the praise team com- works their way up. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, most of all, for your son Jesus who provides the hope that we need. So Father, today, would you speak to each one of us? Would you search our hearts? Would you help us to see where we are in the story today. Where do we find ourselves? And I pray, God, that today you would help us to move to the right place, to have the right motivation, the right heart, the right desires, that we would find ourselves bringing people to you, pointing people to you. Help us today, Father, to have that that urgency to share hope today. Would you help us to be hope dealers? Father, we thank you for your great love for us. That you love us enough not to leave us where we are, but to compel us, to move us, where you desire us to be, to be molded and shaped like you. So help us today. Father, we ask these things in your name.